on your Bible. I've got my own. Good morning, everyone. And this is a beautiful day. The sun is shining. This is summer. It'll be finished by tomorrow. Make the most of it. Enjoy it. And that's, that's great to be here. Mandy, my wife, sends her love to you. She saw lots of you up at, um, up at Malvern. She's on grandparent duty. So she's looking after. We've got six grandchildren now. So we're going for the world record, I think. <clears throat> when you have two daughters, you don't think you'll have six. makes Christmas extremely expensive. It's just guess, especially my wife. Every time she's out, she always sees something. She buys something. She says, look how much you saved. It was £5 off. She didn't save anything. You spent money. I mean, it's just, it's just that's how much more you could have spent. So, so that, that's, that's good. It's nice to be with this family together too. So um, let me head right into reading the Bible. I, I, I was, had a dream last night and I was to change what I was going to speak on. So is that this could either go good or go bad. Do you know what I mean? It might be... It might have been a dream, it might have been a nightmare, but we'll find out in a moment. But um, I think sometimes God just wants to speak very simple to our hearts, doesn't he? You know, I, th- I think that sometimes we, we make everything so complicated in life. And things are meant to be simple. Let me give you an example of that before I head into because we're going to talk about identity today. How long have we got? But um, I'm from Scotland. I'm, uh, this is an accent. This, this is not an impediment. This is... This is an accent. I'm from Scotland, and where I come from, everyone speaks like this. And when you get to heaven, you'll speak like this as well. <laughs> but I remember when I was a little boy growing up, I've got an identical twin brother, Ian, good-looking boy. And uh, we, we went to the boys' brigade. The boys' brigade is for... Uh, a Christian organization for the promotion of the habits of obedience, reverence, discipline, and self-respect in all intents towards a true Christian manliness. You weren't in the Boys' Brigade. You couldn't have been. You were in the Guild's Brigade. Oh, that makes more sense. <laughs> and it's great, wasn't it? And you know, when you're, uh, you're, when you're little, um, your, your daddy's just amazing, you know, what my daddy says. And I remember thinking I was like God to my daughter, Sophie, when I was little. But she said, my daddy said, and my daddy's a pastor. So if, if I said it was great, and then she went to school, and I, I was wrong. I wasn't God anymore. The teacher was God. Teacher says. Teacher says. And well, teacher's wrong. Teacher couldn't have said that. You couldn't have been listening. And then they're teenagers, and everybody's wrong. You know, it's like, like there's no God almost. Like. I remember Sophie coming back and said, Dad, I feel that God, I want to go on a year's um, break and go on, on, on the missions for a year, a gap year on the missions. And I said, that'll cost a lot of money, princess. And she said, well, God will provide. And hey, I was God again. <laughs> so it was great. It's about full cycle. It will happen to you too, just wait and see. I don't know what age your children stop costing you money, but it's in the 30s at least. I'm in the 30s. My kids are in the 30s. It's not stopped yet. But So I was at the age of eight where... where if what teacher says was right, and more than that, if it was in a book, it was right. So I'm sitting there, and we're doing first aid. And in this first aid, in the book, it told you how to breathe. And I can remember thinking, they've left this a bit late. <laughs> I mean, when you're eight, you think, they've left this a bit late. And so, but not only did it tell you how to breathe, it had a diagram. And on this diagram, it was like, a, I'm just a man's head, and, and he breathed. 
and his nose, and his nose, and went down into his lungs and the pulmonary system to all the stuff put on, and then it went out his mouth. And I'm sitting there going, I don't do that. I said, supposed to breathe in your nose, and, and I didn't want to say anything because I thought, I don't want people to know that all, all my life I've not known how to breathe. So I'm saying, right. I went home, I went home that, that, that day, I'm standing in the kitchen, breathing correctly for the first time in my life. So I'm standing in the kitchen going, you ought to try breathing properly. My mother said to me, what are you doing? And I said to her, I'm breathing properly. Because you never taught us how to breathe properly. And I've just learned. My mom said, stop it, I'll make you dizzy. And I thought, yeah, it has. <laughs> That's breathing. Babies know how to breathe. Babies can breathe. It's almost anything in life that's simple. Somehow, we want to complicate it so much we can get it wrong. And if you, I know people say if you concentrate on your breathing, actually it's quite hard. If you concentrate on your breathing, you have to stop everything else. And it's almost like the Christian life has become a bit like that. What's meant to be easy, what's meant to be natural, has become as a science. You have to buy a book on it, you have to buy a course on it, you have to just breathe. It's all right, forget all the other stuff. You find out that's what you're meant to be able to do. And this is sort of one of those sort of sermons. It's the sort of thing you think, I knew that. I knew that. But I find in church life, sometimes th things are so simple, you have to say them twice. Because th if it's so simple, it cannot be that comp It can't be that simple. A friend of mine gets saved. I, I witnessed him for years. He's a nuclear physicist. He used to argue with me about scientific laws and argue me about... But as you said, God made the world. He said, did he make trees with rings in it? Or was, was, it, was it no, because it would be how many years old? I thought, oh, dear. And one day I said to him, Peter, I can't make this anymore. You're a sinner, and Jesus died for your sins. And unless you get saved, you're going to hell. You understand that? He said, really? I said, yes, and he got saved. <laughs> I've been thinking, I have wasted 15 years with this man. I just thought, I'm going to have to bring him on this level. And I just thought, I'll just try some truth out. And I thought, well, well, fantastic. So let me read to you a verse out of the, the King James Version, because it only works in the King James Version. Of Second Samuel chapter 5, verse 12. It says, it says this, David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. Now that sounds, it's almost, if I can bring that into English, really, David sort of suddenly clicked, I'm the king. I'm the king. That was good because he'd been king for a while. Because he's actually, he's killed Goliath. He's, he, he's uh, been, been alongside Saul, who killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands. And then he's anointed king for seven and a half years, and, and the king of Judah, and then became king over all Israel. And this is after that. He wakes up one day and thinks, I'm the king. 
That's like the Queen waking up in the morning and saying to Prince Philip, Philip, one has just realized one is the Queen of England. You think, hello, 60 years. It's almost like, David, you've just realized who you are. I'm going to tell you sometimes, knowing who you are is a lot different to knowing what you're meant to be doing. And all of us went to sort of doing things, and here, here, here's, here's the strap line. It took gifting for David to be able to fill, kill Goliath. It took a revelation of identity for him to become king. See, you only have to move in faith one day to, be a, to kill Goliath. But you have to know who you are for the rest of your life to live like a king. And God wants us to know who we are and have identity to embrace who you are rather than what you do. Somebody else said to me, it's a bit like, if you, if you don't know what to do, you'll always have a job. You know, what, what do you do today, boss? What do, if you've got a job, you have to know what to do. If you're going to be the overseer, the foreman, you have to know how to do the job because you have to tell people to do different things. But the big door, boss knows why everyone is doing it. And there's a sense in which you want to say, I don't just want to know what God wants me to do or how to do it. But when you're a son and a daughter of the king, he shows you the why. It's because of who you are. So I don't do these things because I have to. I do them because of who I am. There's some things I don't do because of who I am. Like Nehemiah said, when they came in and said, come, come, come down with us, it was a trap. He said, should such a man as I come down? No, I won't. Because I'm not what you think I am. I know who I am. And when you know who you are, you won't do some things. But you will do some other things. So it's easier for David to defeat Goliath than it was for him to take the throne of, of Israel. Because if you think of David, I think of him as the person who came into his destiny and his purpose and, and who he was. Do you know the story of David? It's one of the best known stories in the Bible. I like it because that's who I'm named after. But when we get to heaven, I'm going to go, hey, we've got the same name. <laughs> For your little boy, it's great. You open the Bible. And you're, I was on nearly every page at one point. And David was very interested because Samuel turns up. Samuel's a prophet. He is like the man. You ever have a prophet come? We had a river camp. We had Sean Bolts came, came to us. And this year we've got another prophet coming, Gary Morgan. He's one of these people who could just look at Pastor David and say, what does the 14th of June mean to you? And, and, and you go, oh, that's my wedding anniversary. His wife goes, she missed it. And then and, and, and he tells the names of children and all that sort of thing. He says, wow. How is that a prophet to come and say, hey, the prophet's got a word for you. And you say, but is he in a good mood or is he in a bad mood? If he's in a good mood, I'll have the word. If he looks like upset, leave it. And he actually said that to Samuel. He come, are you, are you, do you come in peace? Or? He said, yeah, I'll come in peace. Yeah, well, good. Come on in. Come on. When he goes to the house, he, he has like a, a liter of oil, which is, I, I don't know. I'm guessing that they're not always but that size. And when somebody comes to your house saying, where's your boys with a, a liter of anointing oil? There's a hint there, isn't there? There's a hint that something's going to happen. And Jesse gets his se seven of his sons out, and they come in one at a time. And, and, and you, see, you think, this must be the one. Eliab, tall, good-looking, young. And I have to say, it's not a sin to be young and good-looking. It's not fair, but it's not, it's not a sin. And God says to him, no, it's not him. 
And he says, you see, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the inside. There's no sermon in there for somebody because man looks on the outside. There's two things to learn from that. Is that God looks on the inside, but man looks on the outside. So what's on the outside is very important to the lost. They don't look at you and think, you know, our neighbors are lovely Christians. They love Jesus. They just say, our neighbors are the only people in our street that don't cut their grass. They're the only ones that don't look after their house. Not five grand off the price of my house. Top. They want me to go to their church. I'll go to their funeral. That's the only meeting I'll go to in their church. Because, just, because they look on the outside. They don't look on the inside. That's why you have to have a buildings that look nice and bring people in. I found I can get Christians to meet in the most unsavory places. But the unsaved, they only come to things that look nice. Because man looks on the outside. God looks on the inside. And this is nice. This is a nice outside. And he goes through them all. I guess, they, I guess they all want to be king, don't they? I mean, it's, it's like you might say, oh, no, not me. But yeah, I really want to be me. And so when, when, when sort of <coughs> the eldest son says no, the second eldest is going, oh, that's a shame. It must be me then. <laughs> it's not me either. It's, it's almost like... <coughs> Seven disappointed brothers, and there's one still out in the fields. And actually, the way it happens, when, when, when um, Samuel has to ask Jesse, he said, is, is this all the boys? And he goes, well, well, there's the youngest. And it's a bit like, well, there's the youngest. Because in a normal family, the, the eldest is the man. And then it goes, you get all the rotten jobs. If you're the youngest, you're sitting your mummy, have another baby. I hate having all the wrong jobs. But she says, oh, that's a, well, a, it, won't, it won't be him. This is a normal, Joseph's family, there's got many colors. That's a dysfunctional family. That's a family that was that's head for disaster because when you have a favorite amongst your kids, that's not good. But this is a normal family. So David was thought, that won't be him. In fact, the most important visitor that's ever come to their family house has arrived, and they've not even bothered to invite them. Can you imagine the queen came to your house when you were little, and your mum just said, oh, you go and play, you won't be bothered, you won't want to see you. You'd be a bit upset with that. Well, David's up looking after the sheep. His dad's not even said, you know, the prophet's come, come and see him at least. He says, you go, off you go. In fact, some people think that David might have been a bit, how, I don't know how to put this politely, but um, he, there's, a, there's a psalm which says, I was born in iniquity. And people think, maybe he was, maybe Jesse was his dad, but there's a different mum. He might have been born the wrong side of the blanket, so to speak. Have you heard that? He might have been born a bit iffy. We don't know that. But there's a reason why Jesse doesn't have him. And he's almost overlooked. Have you ever been overlooked? Have you ever had sort of everybody else mentioned? And I know it's one of my jobs often I, when we do big events. I get to thank everybody. And I always say thank you for the people. Thank you for the worship team. Thank you for the PA. Thank you for everyone who's set up. Thank you for the, the people who've done the car park. Thank you for... And everybody else who've done so much. Thank you. And you think, I'm fed up being everybody else. I was here. He was still in his bed when I was here. And so you know, sometimes you, just, you never get thanked. You never get thanked. You just send everybody else. And sometimes they forget to say it and everybody else. Says, You've been mentioned in the miscellaneous. Not even got the miscellaneous, never mind anything else. You just missed. Not miscellaneous. But Samuel says something. Listen, we won't sit down until David comes. But this, is not, this show is not going on until the person you forgot 
or the person you're trying to forget comes here. Isn't that great? Sometimes God says, well, I don't care if, if even if your daddy's forgotten you, or your mommy forgot you, or your family's forgotten you, your brothers don't think you're up to it. He says, I don't care. We're not going on until he's there. We're not going until she comes. And then David comes in. When David comes in, he comes into a room of disappointed brothers. I often wonder how they fetch David, you know, said, um, well, go and fetch David. I wonder which brother said, oh, I'll go. It's way up in the hills. I wonder what they said to him. I wonder if they said, hey, David, good news. Prophet's there. I think they probably said something, what have you been doing? You're in big trouble right up to there, mate, because the prophet's back at our house. We've just had an ID parade. We had to stand in front of the prophet and no, it wasn't him. Dad's trying to pretend you don't exist, but he knows. I wonder what David did on his way down towards seeing Samuel. What would you do if you heard the prophet is in town and is asking for you and is standing at the house and your brother or your sister just come and said, whatever it is, tell him, confess. I'd be, so, I'd be forgiven. God, forgive me every sin I've ever done. If I would repent of the sins I would like to have committed. Because I think Christians are, Christians are righteous through the lack of opportunity quite a lot. Oh, forgive, forgive. And as soon as he walks in, Samuel takes anointing off, and God said, this is him. He said, well, that's fine. And he just walks, and he pours this, be about a liter of scented anointing oil all over him. And it run all the way down through his Jesus sandals and into the ground. Now, you would notice that. You would notice. Imagine Pastor next, next week, well, it won't be next week because he'll be on holiday, but imagine... Next time you walk into church, pastor comes. As you walk through the door, he gets a liter of anointing oil, scented anointing oil, and just pours it over your head. You go, there better be a very good reason for this, pastor. <laughs> I've got to tell you, I go so far. You know, we love you, but there better be a very good explanation for this. <laughs> but the anointings come on, David, and he's never the same again. But he doesn't know why yet. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's anointed. We don't know what that's going to mean. He doesn't know what that's going to look like. Doesn't know. And I tell you, we're going to pray for the anointing come on you today. And I don't know what happened to you, except you'll become who you're born to be. David didn't become somebody different. He became who he really was. He wasn't the neglected son on the fields. He was the one who's anointed before the foundation of the earth. You know, we have a destiny that's, that's, that, that we're not all going to be like King David, but, but you were meant to be you. And David gets that thing. And then, when, when you read the next chapter, it's when he goes to fight Goliath, and everyone knows the story of Goliath. Goliath is a big man. And so what, what must have happened is three of the oldest brothers go off to fight, and David and his four other brothers and stay at home, and they'll look after the sheep. And then <clears throat> Jesse said, I want to send some provisions to your brothers. And that's like cheese and stuff like that. And, and actually, very clever, Jesse. He says, take a gift to the captain who looks after your brothers. I think that's not a bribe, but it's just take something and put something in a good mood so as he looks after your brothers, you know. So it does that. But can you imagine David going... You want me, Daddy, you asking me to go run some sort of errand? 
Now, Daddy, can we just think about this again? You remember, Daddy, do you not read your Bible? Do you remember last chapter? 1 Samuel chapter 16. Samuel, prophet, comes our house. You didn't invite me. He did. Did he anoint Eliab to be king? No. Did he anoint Shammah? No. Did he anoint any of my brothers? No. Who did he anoint to be king of all Israel? Mwah. I am not running any errands now. I am the king designate. So I won't be doing any of that. I am far, far too important. You're never too anointed to take the trash out. If you're too anointed to do the menial, you're the wrong person. Because we have to learn to serve like a king and rule like a servant. If you're going to be a leader, you don't rule like a king, you rule like a servant. But you serve like you're the king with all your resources to bless that person. And David said, I don't know if, I don't know if you even tried it on Jesse, but I'm sure Jesse would go, just go and take it. Or you'll be the first king with a thick ear on the, on the throne. And he's a heart. When he gets there, in fact, there's a, just something I read it on the way here. I've got my one tape and listen to it. And it says, um, I think it's the American Vice Standard Version. When David arrived, he left his baggage with the man in charge of the baggage. And I thought, wow. Because we've all got baggage. King Saul, when they looked to appoint him, they found him hiding amongst his baggage. But David said, if I'm going to be king, I'm going to have to leave my baggage behind. I tell you, we've all got baggage. We've all got things that cost us a lot to get to where we are now, but you're going to have to leave it behind. If you're really going to go and fight Goliath, if you're really, really going to discover who you are, you're going to have to leave your baggage behind. And so David runs out, and there's, there's Goliath. And it's huge. I mean, it's, I don't mean, well, this isn't racist, but there are not many Jewish people here, but they're not known for being tall. Jewish people are not tall people on the whole. And so David starts off from quite a low level. In fact, we know Saul was head and shoulders above the rest. He was tall, but David wasn't. And he's still a boy. Goliath is, I'm not sure what height he was. It depends what you think a cubit is, which is so many hands. I have no idea. But if people reckon he's about nine foot, he'd be like nine foot six. But when David's only about five foot two, he's sort of any height is quite tall. And he's nine foot six, and he's, and he's got all this armor on, and he's shouting, you know, go and fight, and think, ooh. And actually, what he suggests sounds very reasonable to me. What he says, instead of all of us fighting all of you and all thousands of people dying, one of us will fight one of you, and whoever wins takes everything. I mean, that sounds really, really, really civilized, doesn't it? Except that one of them is Goliath, and he's nine foot six, and he's built like a tank. And so they don't know what to do. Because they, see, the enemy will always seek to intimidate us. He always seems bigger than he really is. So David comes. And, uh, <clears throat> and he talks to his brothers. And he asks them, so what's, what's, what's this about? Says, just, there's nothing worse than your young brother turning up at something you're not doing good at. It says that all of Israel were terrified, and his brothers are part of all of Israel. 
So he's coming going, so who, who's a big fella? He's just, just leave. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, if you're ever doing a job and somebody comes along, how you're doing, if it's doing well, you don't want to tell them. If it's doing bad, you say, just leave me. I'll be all right. I'll be all right in a while. I'm fine, thanks. I'm fine, thanks. They say, how's it going? How's it going? They say, just, just leave it. It's all right. What do you know anyway? In fact, his brother says, where's those few sheep you're looking after? Few sheep. They all used to look after all those few sheep. Because we don't like it when somebody comes and points out we're not doing very well. They've forgotten David's anointed to be king. They've forgotten that. All the thing is, you're trying to make me look bad. bad. Have you ever noticed how easy we are to be defensive? But actually, nobody's attacking us. Because it could be a thing that everybody's always thinking about us. I don't know what you brought up. My mum used to say, what would the neighbours think? Do you know, I don't think the neighbours ever thought. I saw it once on the back of a box of matches. You'd, you'd worry less about what people think about you if you knew how seldom they did. I don't spend all my day thinking about my neighbours, thinking, oh, what are they doing now? Oh, look at those neighbours. Oh, look, look, they've closed the curtain shed. Oh, look, they've locked away. I don't think two toots about them. It's like in church, you think, if I raise my hands, what will people think? They won't think anything. They're too busy worrying about what you're thinking about them to think about you. And if we could all stop worrying about what everybody else is worried about, we could just love Jesus and have a great church. You have to learn how to do that. But anointed people can get annoyed. David's an anointed person. He gets annoyed. And he says, who's, who's the big uncircumcised Philistine? He goes, shh, you hear you. Look, get on his, his brothers grabbed him and put him in the tent. Quiet. I said, well, who do you think he is? Because I tell you, I, I think it's time the church started getting annoyed about what's happening in our country right now. It's time you actually started saying, that's, that's enough. We're going to have to do something. Because actually, it's oh, just the way it is. That's just, oh, never mind. It's a big guy. Nothing we can do about him. But David saw something different to what his brothers saw. His brothers saw a big nine foot six giant challenging them. David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should challenge the armies of the living God? It's almost like he's, he's coming to the Goliath and going, see you boy, you're in big trouble. I heard that. I heard what you said. I'm going to go tell God on you. You've just challenged God and I will be back. Because that wasn't Arnie Schwarzenegger that said that. That was David. He said, I'll be back. You're trouble. Watch it. He wasn't afraid. He actually saw Goliath was challenging God. When the enemy comes against you, he's not coming against you. I have not got enough in my life for the devil to come against me. Let's not fool ourselves. We're not, we're not super saint. It's Christ in me that's the hope of glory. It's the Christ in me that the devil doesn't like. But it's the Christ in me who's, who's an overcomer. I can... But Paul said, through Christ, I, I, can, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There's nothing I cannot do. David has that sort of, I'm not afraid. I'm not, I, am, I am not afraid. And here's another point. When you know who you are, the anointing, the call of God brings its own rewards. At least three times. David just happens to bring in conversation. So uh, what would happen to the person? I'm not, I'm not looking for a reward or anything. 
But what would happen to the person who kills Goliath? Yes, three times. Just to make sure. So well, three things will happen. Number one, the king will make him very rich. That's not bad, is it? But the king makes you very rich. I mean, if I made you rich, he'd probably give you five pounds. You think that was a lot of money. <laughs> but if the king makes you rich, that's land and possessions and gold and silver. So the king will make you rich. And, 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 and number two, you get to marry the king's daughter, Michael. So you join the royal family. I assume Michael's a good-looking woman, otherwise it's not such a great pri prize. For this, so. But you become a prince. That's good. And everyone in your family will be exempt from paying taxes. Oh, I just wish somebody in my family would do that. <laughs> Can you imagine going down to the supermarket and saying, no, you have to knock VAT. We don't, we don't pay VAT. Not, not VAT off that. That's fine. No, we don't pay no pay than that. The tax man says, excuse me, there's been a dreadful mistake. You sent me a tax form, but we don't pay tax in our family. I'm going to go buy a brand new car. No, they don't, no tax. I don't pay any VAT. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it? That's because David shows us that when you're in the will of God, you get the blessing of God. It doesn't mean we're all going to be rich and, you know, Unfortunately, trust me, I've tried this. It doesn't work. I've tried. You can't say, Lord, I'm, I, you want to cross me, give me a Rolls Royce. I mean, I haven't even got a drive. You have to park in the streets. So, no, no there's no room for it. But, but he does say, I will, he'll, he will provide out every, every need according to his riches and glory, which is quite good. He never provides our needs according to our needs. He provides them according to what he's got. So it's always a little bit extra. There's always a little bit extra handed in. In fact, you know that God never fills anyone. His measure is always pressed down, shaking together, and still running over. So if you ask God to fill you, he won't. He will overflow you. That's just the way he does. That's why he talks about a river. It just never stops. He wants to that, keep that coming. And so throw that out on us and throw that out on us again and again and again and again and again. And I wondered to myself, how on earth did David end up finding Goliath? Because there's a whole army full of people there. I don't think they're all so scared. It was cowardice that stopped them saying, okay, I'll go fight Goliath. Because I think there were people there who said, well, if somebody has to die for the nation, I will do it. But they just thought, I know I'll die. I, let me put it this way. Maybe the question is, why did David end up fighting Goliath? It's the wrong question. Here's the question. Who was there in all Israel who carried a fresh anointing of God upon his life? There's only one. His name was David. And I tell you, when you know who you are, when you know what you're called to be, you've got a fresh anointing on your life, you'll end up doing things you should never end up doing. You'll end up doing things that you know are not you. In fact, you'll end up in situations where if God does not come through, you will be killed. Because sometimes you think, oh, good old David. If this doesn't work, ooh. Let me say this to you. Sometimes we need a Goliath to release the David that is inside of us. Sometimes God will let you face a Goliath giant in your life so you can discover that you're actually a David or a Davina. That you realize that that one inside you, that how can you be, an, how can you be one who overcomes more than an overcomer if you never overcome anything? See, people, we, 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 want, we want the medals, but we don't, don't want to go to war. 
forgive me if anyone's from Uganda but Idi Amin wasn't the greatest person in the world, was he? I remember seeing him on television once. He had all these medals. I remember saying to my mum, he must be a very brave man. My mum said, no, I don't think so. He awarded himself all those medals. He, was a, he wasn't very high up. Because he just gave himself, but he, he wasn't a brave man. He was a bully. Brave people tend not to talk about their medals. People who have been brave in wars tend not to boast about it. In fact, the scripture says, let, let not he who puts on his armor boast as he who takes it off. And so it's almost like when, when, you've, when you've done something, be careful, you're not too excited about it. <clears throat> let me scroll, where am I going to go next? Because I see, I think, that God wants us to get the point where we trust him to become who we are and nobody else. I haven't got time. I'll tell you in a moment my identical twin brother. I've been confused for being somebody else for most of my life. But I find most Christians are confused about who they really are. Do you know who you are? Do you know who I am? And one of the things that David said when he got to, to, to talk to um, King Saul, and Saul said, why did you go fight? He said, your majesty, when I was looking after the sheep, a lion would come and take away one of the lambs. Well, I suppose if you're a shepherd and there's, there's bears and, li and lions, you'd expect to lose a few sheep. You, you'd factor that in your business plan. But David, don't, David wasn't like that. If a lion came to one of his sheep, I'm after that. Who's chasing after it? Give that back, you. And he said, I, I chased and I caught him by the beard and killed it and took the lamb back. I think, wow. Have you ever had somebody tell you a story, what they did? And they said, so, um, yeah, you, so you, you saw this line, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what do you do? You chased it, yeah, yeah. Just you, on your own. And you caught the line. Ah. So what do you do then? You caught it by the beard. <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then? And then oh, you killed it. All right, yeah. Because, see, if David's making up a story... If David's telling lies, Goliath will kill him today. But David had confidence because his life held a series of private, confidential, hidden victories. But nobody was watching he was overcoming. So what gave him confidence to fight Goliath was when nobody was watching, he was running towards the enemy. Sometimes the reason we're afraid to fight Goliath is because our life has a series of private defeats that we don't want anyone to find out about. I've got good news about that. You can change that in a day. You can turn that around right now. You repent of the defeats and you walk into your tomorrow walking in his presence and walking in his provision for an overcoming life. So I can do that. And here's my last piece. You ready for my last point? And you meant to sound disappointed when I say the last point. But here's my last point. And it's a little bit of advice to you. Always wear your own clothes. Always wear your own clothes. Always. David goes to see the king. And bear in mind, we said Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. 
That means he's a bit bigger than David. Now, I don't know if, if you come from a big family, sometimes the clothes used to get handed down. If I used to say in some families, first up was best dressed. They grabbed the best clothes and never was up last. Thankfully, we didn't pass clothes down in our family because I had a sister. That, that wouldn't have worked at all. <laughs> and then there was twins. You know, so, but, and we just had everything was dressed the same. But, but, so, so anyway, Saul gives David his armor, but it sounds very like Goliath's armor. But it would be too big for David because Saul's bigger than David. So David's sort of standing there in Saul's armor, and Saul going, how's that? He goes, it's, um, it's very good, Your Majesty. Just the one wee problem, because he's a bit Scottish, David. It's a wee problem, Your Majesty. He said, what's that? Can't move. In fact, to be honest with you, if it's the armor that makes the difference, why don't you wear it and go and fight him? Because I want to tell you, it's not the armor on the man that makes a difference. It's the man that's inside the armor. And we should concentrate not on sometimes thinking, if only I had better armor, I could do it. If only I had stayed on the school. If only I would got that degree. If only I would gone for a master's degree. If only I would got that job. If only we had a bigger house. If only I could have that car. If only, I, if only I could have different armor. No, it's not about the armor. It's about the woman inside. It's about the person inside. It's about the man inside. That's the one who's going to go and fight the Goliath. In fact, sometimes those things are just entrapments. They're just stopping you from fighting the real battle. Cast them aside for a moment. They say, I won't be well not. But to say, when I was uh, growing up, um, Ian and I are identical twins. They're sort of, and that's a technical term, I think. That means it's one after birth. So the, we, we were an egg that split, so the, we, are, we are identical. And uh, so every time I'm not well, I phone them up and say, Ian, be careful. It's coming to you. There's a cold coming to a house near you. And so we're very sort of, uh, when we're in school, teachers could not tell the difference. Now, I've got, as I said, these six grandchildren. And, and, and Zoe and Zara, their daddy's um, West, uh, from the West Indies, from Jamaica, actually. And, uh, and uh, he, he, he um, they're identical. I cannot tell the difference. They're four years old. And I can sort of tell Mandy, my wife, she can't tell. And so it's just great. So we can't, we can't, so we have to send, they have to be sent to school with different colored bows in their hair. And when I was in school, the teachers couldn't tell the difference between my brother and I either. So we have to sit one that side and one that side in school. And people always say, did you try to pretend, you know, do you ever swap? I said, why would you do that? I spent all my life trying to make sure people didn't think I was him. Because <laughs> uh, he, he got all the money and I got the good looks. And so I remember school, but our friends couldn't tell the difference. I had an auntie, my dad's sister, who was in our church. So I saw her every Sunday. And then we used to go past her. Because when I was a kid in school, you, you went to school, you walked on your own. It was, I'm not amazed then as I lived through it. But we, we walked there. We used to walk past my Aunt Jessie's house. And sometimes she'd come and say, hello, I've got no Aunt Jessie. And she would always say, no, the first words wouldn't be, how's your mummy? How's your daddy? How are you? How? Her first question was always, what boy are you? <laughs> and I can remember thinking, even when I was little, thinking, it's not what boy, it's which boy. But never mind, leave it. <laughs> Nothing worse than the precocious child, is it? I said, I'm David. She said, all right, David. And every so often she asked me, what boy are you? I'd go, I'm Ian. 
That's my brother. Because I wanted to find out if she gave you in sweets or something. Because you, I never really knew. I thought, I'll just find out. But she didn't. She did both the same. But it went on and on. In fact, I don't know if I should tell you this, but it's gone through my brain, so I can't get it out. But there was the one occasion when, when I took my new fiancé up to Scotland that my fiancé nearly kissed the wrong twin. <laughs> That's not the worst part. The wrong twin was going to let her do it. <clears throat> That's just our family's trouble, because we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Later on, when we had children, sort of Amy, who's 30 now, with four kids of her own, um, she's about four years old. And Ian and I are sitting in these lazy boy chairs, named after, I don't know who it's named after, but I'm sitting in these lazy boys, lying back. I'm here, and Ian's over there. And, and Amy came running in and just suddenly stopped. And she looked at Ian. She looked at me. And she came very quietly. And she put her hand on my knee, and she whispered, Are you my daddy? <laughs> I said, just come over here. Don't go near that. I might attract just your mother once. Just you stay away from him. He might be a pastor now, but he was a bad boy when he was younger. Just you stay away. I was a good one. I was a good twin. But I've got to tell you, I've never woke up in the morning and thought, now, am I Ian or am I David? Look at the mirror. I said, that's David. That's definitely David. I know that much. Because I know who I am. Who are you? That's a football chant. Who are you? Who, who are you? Who are you? Sometimes the, the, the enemy will tell you, who do you think you are? Well, who do you think you are? I'll tell you, top of my head, I'll tell you, you are. You're someone who God loves so much that before the foundation of the earth, he thought, if I, if I let Adam breathe his first breath, then Jesus will die, breathe his last breath in order that you could be forgiven. If I love you enough to let Adam breathe his first breath, then Jesus will die and, 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 and make his last breath in order that you might be saved, that you might be a sinner who is forgiven by the blood of Jesus, cleansed, given a garment of righteousness, anointed with oil, given a place in heaven to sit beside him for all glory and for your time is on earth, he'll fill you with his glory and with his presence. That's, that's the beginnings of who you are. Do you think if, if God had wanted you to be somebody else, he could have arranged that? Because sometimes you look at other people, and it's usually people who are doing better than us, aren't it? I mean, you never looked at somebody who's sort of dying on TV of hunger and thinking, I wish that was me. They don't. We look at high achievers, people who have done things exceptional, had books written about them, and think, I wish that was me. If God wanted that, he would have arranged that. Now, I might not like who I am, but he does. In fact, he wants you to be the best you you could ever be, and that's your destiny. Your destiny is not to become somebody else. Your destiny is to become you. And that's great because you're uniquely qualified for that. It's like somebody said, you might as well just be yourself in life because all the other options have been taken. Who else are you going to be? You can't be me because I'm me. 
You can't be them because they're them. But you could be you. In fact, you're the only person that could be you. Isn't that make you sort of feel the destiny and purpose that God says, I need one of them? And it's you. Because your gifting will help you do all sorts of things. But unless you know who you are, you won't know what you should be doing. So I'm going to pray for you in a moment. I'm going to pray. In fact, in the moment, if anyone needs prayer, we'll pray for anybody. But like, I feel good just to pray right now. And just say, Lord, release you to be who you're called to be. I'm not going to ask you to respond publicly to this, but I'll say, there's some people here, and, and maybe your parents have had a different plan for your life than you have. And you felt as if you're trying to become someone to please them, and you've forgotten who you are. I'd like to set you free from that, well-meaning though that is. I'd like to set you free so you can become who your father wants you to be, who he's created you to be, because that's achievable. Because he will help you to become everything you're to be and set you free from all those impossible things you place on yourself. So, Father, I thank you that just as David suddenly realized you'd made him king, I ask for a revelation of who I am and who we are and who we're called to be, that you have a destiny and a purpose. We're not all going to be on TV. We're not all going to be multimillionaires. But we're all going to be totally fulfilled being the person you, you called us to be before the foundation of the world. You, you, you wanted me to be David Campbell, not Ian. You wanted us to be whoever we are. And I pray that you would release the potential of every child of God in this room, that we might rise up an army of giant slayers who can do so just because the anointing has come upon us. And we're released to be who you always want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.